I'm glad we serve a holy God. Good morning and Happy New Year. It is uh, 2023. It's almost unbelievable. Just like that, another year is gone. Just like that, a new year has started up, which means a few things. It means it's time for the gyms to get crowded for <laughs> a few weeks. It, it means that it's time for the diets to be adjusted, uh, resumed, or begun. It means it's time to, uh, for some of us to clean up or scale down or simplify our lives. It's time for some of us to resolve to manage our money better, to start putting money back in savings. Uh, some of us, it's uh, the new year, and so it's a time of transition. It's a time for us to kind of focus on doing things a different way. And I am not disparaging or mocking these things. As a matter of fact, I encourage them. I believe that there are periods in our life where we need to stop and reassess. So the new year is always a good time to look back at the year past and to look forward to the year ahead. These are transitional times that come periodically in our lives when we need to say, well, it's time for the old to go away and it's time for the new has come. Now, does that sound New Testament to you? The Bible speaks a lot about laying aside the old and taking off the old and putting on the new Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Galatians, Colossians, a number of places where that's our exhortation. Now, for our church, it's 2023. Hey, we're here. We're back in the West End. Praise the Lord. It's an answer to prayer, and we are grateful to God for the facility, the place that He's given to us. And it is good for us to celebrate this next step on our journey. But I do want to kind of give us a warning as we prepare for the things that come next. There's a tendency to settle in, to get into a space, to make it comfortable. Uh, I discovered years ago when I pastored the Deaf Church that if you do something in a Baptist church about four weeks, then that's the way we do it here. And sometimes it's kind of hard to remain flexible, to remain open, to not get hidebound just because we've done something in a certain way a few times. And so what I want us to do as we begin, we're going to start taking a look over the next month and over the actually the next two months at the first few verses in Romans chapter 12, which is a transitional passage. We'll get to that in just a moment. To say, all right, how do we face 2023? This series is titled, Let's Do This. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Let's do this because I believe that's built upon the very first phrase of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And I just want you to kind of settle in. We're going to read these two verses together. But today we're going to focus on verse 1. And understand who we serve and why we serve. Let's do this. What are we doing? We're doing what God commands us to do. We're doing what our commander-in-chief, what our king, what our savior, what our Lord leads us to do. In the power that he gives us to do it for his glory. So let's do this as, as steadfast servants as we face the new year. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul begins and he says, I appeal to you sometimes some translations translate the appeal as beg or urge i memorized it in the king james version i beseech you not a word that's in common usage but i I appeal this is an exhortation a call i i appeal to you therefore and the therefore is important brothers by the mercies of god to present, to make a present of, to present your bodies, bodies speaking of the whole person, as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is not something you hold on to, something you let go of. So I appeal to you, 
therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, in what way? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, next week, we're going to go look deeper into verse 2. What does that mean? Because it continues on. And that means by not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. But we're going to focus on this passage this morning. And it's a transitional passage. I don't know how long it's been since you've been in the book of Romans or if you're familiar with it, but the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to a group of Christians gathered in Rome. The group of Christians in Rome were made up of both Jews who had come to place their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but also a number of Gentiles, Greeks and Romans, who had come to faith in Christ, had been exposed to the gospel. And now you had these radically culturally different people gathered together, and they've become something new. They've become one church. They've become one body. And Paul hadn't actually physically been there yet. And so he is writing to them, the things that he taught at the churches that he planted, for instance, in Ephesus and Colossians. And so what, Rome, what that turns Romans into, what Romans actually is, is basically an organized theology, as, as complete a, an organized theology as we have in any one book in the New Testament. And so rather than start in chapter 1, I want us to start in chapter 12, but we need to know the setting for this because he says, I appeal to you, Brothers, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? He's taking that back, all the way back to all that he's taught up until this time. Up until this time, he's made propositional, indicative, declarative statements. Most of the sentences are simply indicative and declarative. They, they, they say, this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true. And then, from chapter 12, verse 1, Following, the, it's primarily imperatives, or instructions, or commands. And so the first part, chapters 1 through 11, here's some things that you have to know. And 12 through 16, and so here are the things that we do because of the truths that we have already embraced. He's already dealt with the primacy of the gospel. He started in chapter 1 with the importance of the gospel how it's the main thing in his life, how it's, it's, it, it is that truth that we all have to grasp and have to not be ashamed of but proclaim. And then he goes on to explain why, because there are those who are simply rebellious against God by culture, by inclination. They're pagan, they're heathen, pagan, heathen, I don't know. And those were good words I was raised up with. I don't think they're in common usage now. But it, it's people who just have no use for God whatsoever and are, are seeking to satisfy the pleasures of the flesh. And they need to be saved. They have suppressed the truth of God. And then in chapter 2, he goes on and he focuses upon the religious people who need to be saved. The Jews who had the oracles of God and yet were equally lost. In chapter 3, we come to the means of salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ, the propitiation, the one who paid for our sins. And the path to salvation, chapter 3 and chapter 4, is by faith. By faith. Because of God's grace, we place our faith in what Christ has done. The reality, we, he goes on through the later chapters, the reality that even saved, we cannot in our own strength be righteous, but that the once saved, we don't have to. We depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ who lives within us to make us righteous. 
the reality that the Jews are not outside of God's plan. They are part of God's plan. Jesus is their Messiah too. Again, indicatives, statements, truths, eternal truths to grasp and to hold. And now, let's do this. I appeal to you. I urge you. I beg you. I exhort you. Let's do this. Let's do what? Let's do what? Let's be steadfast servants of God. Why are we serving? Who are we serving? The word appeal I, I mentioned is, is uh, Greek, para, kaleo. Some of you will be familiar with the word uh, para, means alongside of, close to, just. The other is kaleo, which means to call or to summon or to invite. Paul is not saying, all right, now I've got this done. I need you to do this. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm with you in this. Let's do this together. Because we've been saved, because of the mercies of God, then there's this ongoing process that I'm calling you and urging you to do. So let's get this clear right off the bat. What we just sang just a moment ago. He's the king. We're not. He's God. We're not. He is our father. We are his children. He is the ruler. We are what Paul calls himself and what Paul refers to believers as in a few times in the New Testament, his doulos, his slaves, his bondservants. We are his, bought with a price. We belong to him. He is the authority. We are under his authority. And by his mercies, we have been totally made new. But the fact of justification that we've been declared innocent, that we've been declared, been declared not guilty, that is the beginning of our life. It's not simply that we get saved and that we wait on heaven, but that we are here to serve him day by day, week by week, year by year. As long as he leaves us here, we are to be steadfast servants, unwavering, unwavering. Which is fun. That's the, the subtitle of this series, Let's Do This, Embracing Our Role as Steadfast Servants. And what, so I want to look at this verse, kind of a phrase at a time. We've talked about appeal. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And by the way, as I quote this, I'm going to go back to the King James Version. Uh, you can tell when I memorize the passage of Scripture by which translation I'm quoting it out of, whether it's the King James Version or the New American Standard Version or the ESV. But we're going to talk about some of the words that are selected and how they're interpreted in this passage. But let's look at that phrase, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Did you guys get presents at Christmas? Good ones? Present, present, is that the same word or is that two different words? Got some good presents. I know I see some smiles on some faces. Got some good presents. Did you give presents away? Isn't that always fun? It's always more fun, I think, some, often to, to just give. This present is to give away, is to make a present of. You're to continually, as you did at salvation when you surrendered, you're continually to present yourself, your body's representing your whole being, Present yourself as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is not something that you keep. A sacrifice is something that you give away, that you relinquish control of, that you relinquish authority to. Uh, it's important to recognize that this presenting your instruments, your bodies as instruments of righteousness, Romans chapter 6, or here present your bodies as a living sacrifice, is a 
continual process. It begins at salvation, but then it is a continual walk, a continual way that we acknowledge that he is the king and I am not, that I am his servant. I'm embracing my role as a servant. I am the child. He is the father. And it's important that we understand that, what it means, the cost of becoming a disciple, but then the power to live faithfully as a disciple. Jason read Romans, uh, Romans, he read Luke chapter 14. There Jesus is describing what it means to be a disciple. And I want to just look at verse the last couple of verses there, verse 32 and verse 33. After he's given this excellent description of the cost of coming to Christ, of following after him, he says, actually, let me back up to verse 31 just to give us the context. What king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet who, him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a way, great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? It means to be sold out. It means to be completely yielded. It means to not hold on to anything and say, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll be about 80% Christian, or I'll be Christian on Sundays and Wednesdays in at home group, or I'll be Christian when I'm in this group. But at other times, we blow it off. We close our minds to it. We close our hearts to it. Do you guys know the word dilettante? Are you familiar with the phrase dilettante? I, I don't know if you are or not. I was not until uh, um, when I was in high school. Um, my uh, my mom got on to me. Now, my mom loves me. She loves me dearly. She loves me enough that uh, she did then and still does actually correct me when I need correction. And I had started, you, have you guys ever started something and you decided, I don't really want to do this anymore? And then you just kind of backed out of it? I had started a couple of different clubs, and I tried one for a while, and I thought, no, this isn't going to work. And then I tried another one. I tried some sports as well. And Mom set me down. She said, son, you're acting like a dilettante. You're acting like a dabbler. You stick your toe in. You play with it for a while. When it gets uncomfortable, you quit. And she said, son, we don't do that around here. When you sign up for something, you stick with it until it's over with. And I thought, well, Mom, I don't like this. I I didn't know what I was getting into. Jesus in this passage of Scripture says, I want you to understand what you're getting into. I want you to understand what it means to be a disciple. It's not just trying Jesus out. It's not just sticking your toe in. It's not seeing what's for you and what's not for you in this component. If anyone would be my disciple Jesus says he must deny himself give up himself he must give up the authority over his own life and to acknowledge that God is his authority and it's wholehearted it's all in it's complete and total surrender and the joy of that is when we come to him in repentance turning from self-control and surrendering our control to him he gives us his life we give Him ours. He gives us His life to indwell us, to cleanse us, to, to make us new, to make us something 
that we've never been before. And that is the beginning of the journey. The journey then is day by day, week by week, presenting our bodies as members, as instruments of righteousness, saying, Lord, I'm not the boss, you are. You're in charge of my life, you're the authority, you're the king, you're the dad, and I'm here to give glory to you. Our church exists to glorify God by being obedient to him, by making mature disciples of all nations starting in the West End. This is what we do. It's who we are. And so let's do this. Let's present ourselves day by day, week by week, as as living sacrifices. Now, it means we acknowledge he's the boss, but it also means that we live. We live as a sacrifice. So we get to go on and do. We're just no longer in charge. We get to live day by day. Now, it is important to know that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, but not in order to obtain the mercies of God. And I talk to a lot of people who hope they're going to get to heaven when they die. As a matter of fact, I saw this little commercial on TV the other day where there was uh, uh, scales, and they had a person sitting on one side and, I don't know, some sort of feather on the other side, and they were trying to demonstrate whether they were good enough to have a good eternity. Uh, The Bible debunks that no one is good enough no one can earn the right to have a relationship with God and aren't you glad pause here for a minute aren't you glad aren't you glad for grace aren't you glad that God looks down from heaven we studied this all during Advent (laughs) the love of God displayed through Christ on the cross how he came and demonstrates his love toward us and continually demonstrates his love toward us And so we serve not so that somehow we can get an angry God off of our back and somehow please Him or somehow get enough merit to be good enough and acceptable to Him, but we serve because we've received the mercy of God. You see, when you talk about works, and again, when you talk about good works, when you talk about the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should do, a lot of people think, oh, you're talking about work salvation. You're talking about work salvation. And I got to tell you, I fight work salvation theologically all the time in a number many many conversations consistently it is probably the worst false doctrine that is most predominant in our culture and so this is not about being good enough or doing enough or working hard enough to somehow be granted mercy mercy is given freely to us God pours his mercy out upon us. And because we have received mercy, then we serve. Then we serve him. You can't earn salvation in God's mercy. It is the goodness of God. It is his pleasure to save us. It is the means of God that he has saved us. It is the life of Christ that is saving you. And it is because of God's mercy. Just to read really quick to summarize this up. And earlier in this very book, this letter that Paul wrote, he said the righteousness of God has been manifested or been shown, displayed apart from the law. Uh, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they demonstrate it, they, they uh, symbolize it, they signify it. The righteousness of God, though, is through faith in Jesus for all who believe. No distinction, Jew or Gentile. For all have sinned and, and come short of the glory of God and are justified, were made not guilty, we're made righteous 
by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. But therefore, having received mercies, we serve. But how do we serve? We serve in the strength that He gives. Just like you can't satisfy God or please God in your flesh and somehow acquire His approval, approbation, acceptance through your own efforts, in the same way, you can't, as a Christian, live your life in the power of your own flesh alone and try to be pleasing to God. When you do, you just get tired, you get frustrated, you get worn out. You are continually under this sense of guilt of not being able to do enough. Here's what Christ says. First of all, in the call in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You need to follow the word rest throughout the New Testament. We find our rest in him. In Hebrews chapter 3, we rest in Christ's accomplished work. But it does not mean that we just sit down and let God do what he's going to do. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity is not simply twiddling our thumbs or like some sort of life or eternity insurance policy where we just say, all right, I'll go to heaven when I die. In the meantime, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy God's good creation. Now, I want you to enjoy God's good creation, but I want you to do it while you're walking in obedience to him, depending upon him for his strength. This is the living sacrifice part. And so because of the mercy we've received, we serve with total devotion. And I've got to tell you, folks, we need to check this periodically, but we all need to determine to what extent we are truly devoted to Christ who gave himself for us. Truly devoted, celebrating his mercies. And so what do we do? Well, we live our lives pleasing him. Our goal is to make God's pleasure our priority back to our verse i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy which means set apart set apart to god holy and the esv says acceptable to god Uh, many of the translations we use that word the greek word is eurestos eu means good which i always thought was funny ooh means good so you means good, and then restaurant uh, means pleasing or to please. And so a good translation of this, we need to live lives that are well-pleasing to God. That's one of the translations that I memorized. Live a life that is well-pleasing to God, set apart to God, well-pleasing to God. Which is your spiritual Worship. Now let's talk about those last two words for a moment. If you're familiar with this passage in different translations, it'll get confusing. The NIV says, which is your true and proper worship. The King James says, which is your reasonable service. The New American Standard says, which is your spiritual service of worship. What's going on? Why is there so many different kinds of uh, words that are used here? And, and it's just two words in the Greek. It's just two words. The first is logikos. Logos is the root of that. And it does mean rational or reasonable. It's only used one other place in the New Testament. And it's not even in the Greek, I mean, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. 
It's only this form of this word is only used one time, and it's used in First Peter chapter two, verse two, where it says Paul is exhorting, or Peter is exhorting them to desire earnestly spiritual milk, or the milk of the word. It speaks to the mind. It speaks to that which is reasonable. But it also, it's not literal milk. It's symbolic milk. It is spiritual milk. And so when a translator is looking at that word, they look at how it's used in other places. It's only used in one other place. And it's often translated spiritual there. But it means rational, reasonable, that which makes sense. It means, uh, the other word is latria, which is interpreted worship or service most often it is interpreted service or sacred service service in the temple we first find this word in the old testament when the priests were responsible for setting up and tearing down the tabernacle now we know a little bit about setting up and tearing down on a weekly basis we know a little bit about moving in and moving out but even our experiences pale in comparison to jewish worship in the wilderness you guys remember how that's described It's a tent with very heavy canvas and poles. And you've got altar. As a matter of fact, you've got the main sacrificial altar, and then you've got the laver. You've got the altar of incense. You've got the table of showbread. You've got all these different pieces. And all these things have to be designed and built. Then they have to be torn down and transported. Then they have to be set up. And then there's worship again. That service of worship, that sacred service that's described to the priest, That's the word that's used here. And so it is worship, but it is not some sort of esoteric spiritual worship where we just bask in the goodness of God, and we should bask in the goodness of God. I'm not saying that that's wrong. But I am saying here that this text very clearly is speaking to rolling up your sleeves, laying aside your coat and your jacket, and putting your hands to the task that God's called you to do because of the mercies you received and as an expression of your love to him. Paul uses the word toll, T-O-I-L, or labor when he talks about his service of God. He talks about his extreme effort, his extreme commitment. And when he does so, he doesn't do it apart from the power of God that works within him. It is God who works within us both to will and to do his good pleasure, which enables us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And so it is service as an expression of love. You guys know what service as an expression of love is, right? Do you remember the story of Jacob in the Old Testament? Uh, he, He was looking for a wife. Rachel sends him to Laban, her brother, back where she's from. And Jacob falls in love with a young lady named Rachel, who is beautiful. And he asks Laban, he says, Laban, I want to marry your daughter, um, for Rachel. I said Rachel. I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. That's the, the young lady he falls in love with. And Laban says, sure. It'll cost you seven years of labor. And so Jacob works for seven years for his uncle Laban. And then it's time for them to get married. You guys remember the story? It's found in Genesis chapter 29. As we go through our daily Bible reading, we're going to come up on it pretty quick. But I want to read to you just a phrase that I think is great. 
kind of a romantic phrase. I'll probably come back to it again in February. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Now, isn't that just cool? Because of the immense love he had for her, he was willing and happy to serve for seven years. Now he ended up serving 14. It's another story. We're not going to get into that, but here's what I want you to know. That the commands of the Lord are not burdensome when they're motivated by our love for Him and when they are empowered by our dependence upon His strength in our life. How about that? The the commands of the Lord are not burdensome when they are motivated by our love and gratitude for Him and when they are empowered by our dependence upon His strength. Do you ever feel weak? Good news. When I am weak, He is strong. In my weakness, His strength is made manifest. Let's do this. Let's do what? Let's serve our Father steadfastly. Let's day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, as long as God leaves us on this earth, continually present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice, how? Set apart to God, not to myself, not halfway, not playing, not as a dilettante, but saying I'm all in. I am all in, Father. Whatever, however, whenever. I'm not the boss. You are. And I will go and I will serve and I will do and I am willing to be inconvenienced and I am willing to be uncomfortable. And I want your name to be glorified and so I want you to use me in any way and in every way. I simply make myself available to you. I am yours, Lord. Everything, anywhere, anytime. And what happens when we do that? God is glorified. Can I tell you, you you become something that you can't be apart from Christ. You become a vessel of the Holy Spirit, but you become an ambassador. You become a witness. You become an example to others. You become not only a disciple who is following, but a discipler who brings others along with you. 2023 is going to be a great year, isn't it? You don't sound convinced. 2023 is going to be a great year, isn't it? It's going to be as bright as the promises of God and our willingness to walk in obedience to them. Because here's what I know. I know that many times I am faithless because I'm weak. Because rather than resisting temptation, I will yield to temptation. I will think things and dwell on things that I need to release and relinquish to God. I will walk down paths at least for a ways that I should not walk down. I am faithless often, too often. But let me tell you something about our God. He is not faithless. He is always faithful. For he cannot deny himself. God's good, isn't he? Let me say that in another way. Let's resume. Let's resurrect an old tradition. Uh, For years, we would go simply through the process of affirming the goodness of God by the worship leader saying, Isn't God good? And the congregation responds, He is good indeed. Shall we do that again? Isn't God good? He is good indeed. indeed. Father, thank you for your goodness. 
Thank you for the appeal that the Apostle Paul makes and the appeal that I am making this morning that we together as your people will present our bodies as living sacrifices, no longer being in control, no longer going on our way, our own way, but trusting in you, depending upon you, set apart to you, holy and acceptable, making a priority those things that please you, not so that we can be saved or so that we can know you or somehow earn mercy, but because we are the recipients of mercy. We've been washed and we've been forgiven and we've been cleansed. And for those here who have that not yet been their experience, I pray that today you'll make them aware of the grace that you give us in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they will respond through complete surrender. Father, you are good. You are good indeed. And we love you and celebrate you. In your name I pray. Amen.